0: Okay, good morning. Um, for those who don't know, I'm Pete. I am, have the privilege of being Anya's husband, who sometimes says nice things to me. Um, oh, Get them on side, Anya. Um, so, if you've, so, like Anya said, last week we had a change in the schedule, but if you've been with us a few weeks, you'll know that we're in the middle, beginning, middle of a series on simplicity, um, and how um, we're looking at what it means to live a simpler life. And this is not this is to, um, not so we can conform with the, the trend of minimalism or to be uber cool, but um, just how we can simplify our lives so we can focus more on being a disciple of Jesus. So a couple of weeks ago, um, Dan started and then uh, Michelle, the following week, shared about simplicity of hearts. And today we're going to look at um, the simplicity of speech. Now, I feel like I've been properly done here and it's all my fault because Alan was meant to be speaking this morning um, and, we, and we're on holiday next week so I asked him to swap and that was this is the worst time holiday ever because for me and I know sometimes people who speak and teach can say oh, this is meant for me as it's much for you but this is genuinely one of those times and I found it so hard to write this to read stuff about it and you know, for the last two or three weeks while I've been thinking about it, put some of it into practice and I've failed multiple times. So there is an irony as well of me speaking on simplicity of speech. Someone said, why don't you just not say anything and just have a silence for <laughs> 40 minutes. Um, but yeah, this, is, this has genuinely been one of the hardest ones that I've had to do. And it isn't because of some super intellectual thing or stuff that I don't understand. And it's all to do with, I am rubbish at this. Um, so I would appreciate some grace this morning. So if you stand there and think, I, I know Pete. He's, I get it. I don't get this. So like I said, a couple of weeks ago, Michelle um, talked about simplicity of heart. And then so this morning, we're going to look at speech. And then next week, the one that I should have been doing and Alan's doing um, is simplicity of apparel. So the clothes that we wear Then we're doing simplicity of stuff, so the stuff that we own, and then ending with simplicity of pleasure. Now that order is deliberate. So if you notice, the topics flow from the inside out. So first we did the heart, then we're doing the speech, then what we wear, the the apparel that we have, then the stuff around us, and then finally our schedule and our pleasure. So we we did that on purpose, because we need to change in here first before we can change anything out there. So a quick poll. And I expect everybody to put their hands up. Just as a here, has I mean maybe not. Maybe I'll come and talk to you afterwards if you don't. But um, have you ever said something that you either later regret because it's made you've made you felt like you made a fool of, or have you ever spoken out of term to a point where it's damaged a relationship, possibly even beyond repair, or have you ever said some not said something and then later regretted it? Hands up. All three for me. About 45 times this morning. It's a complex language that creates relationships and connection is one of the defining factors that make us human. We cannot, sorry, we can connect and disconnect with each other through language. We can experience a wide range of emotions just on the back of a spoken word. Words can have a soaring to the highest of highs or plummeting down to the depths. And we've got poetry and literature and worship and scripture all come alive as we speak them out. So whilst we can take pleasure in God's word and build each other up and celebrate language in all its forms, the beauty of poetry and song and all those things, at the same time we know that spoken words can cause deep and irreparable damage. Words can be a weapon that in the wrong hands can destroy people. So in fact, the American philosopher and writer Dallas Willard said, the mouth is the main thoroughfare of evil in human life. So that may be harsh, it may, may be, be harsh, but if you think about it, actually there is some truth in it. So just one example, and we could spend all morning going through examples of that, but, you know, politics is a classic. You know, people, one person will say something, um, what they did or didn't say, and it'll end up in slander, broken Promises, defensiveness, anger, selfishness. It to the left and the right and all that kind of thing. And all to do with spoken words, words that are spoken. And the, fu- and the fuel of those words can often impact bigger situations. You know, just look at the news. There's stuff everywhere. And the root cause of the problem is more often than not words someone has said. But we also see this in our own stories too. Words that have helped build us up, encouraged us. And other words that have torn us down and caused us damage. No comment on you. I'm over it. We no doubt remember that one thing at school that the teacher or peer said to us years ago, and we probably remember that comment more than anything that we were perhaps taught in a lesson. We remember the childhood saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What absolute rubbish. <laughs> broken bones feel, heal far quicker than, than broken hearts. So in fact, that saying is in stark contrast contrast the biblical wisdom compared if we compare it to childhood uh, chance in proverbs twelve eighteen, it says thoughtless words cut like a sword but the tongue of the wise brings pe- brings healing so we can all recall with ease i know i can past words that have been spoken to us and the feelings that they've invoked But before we all chip in and pay for a mass therapy session to get over that, we must also acknowledge that times that perhaps even this week, even this morning, even half an hour ago, our words may have not been used for good. A careless word may have slipped out. A passive-aggressive comment may have stirred the pot. Perhaps followed by an apology saying, of course I didn't mean it. But more often than not, we actually do mean it. Our words reveal a much deeper problem in our hearts an anxiety, perhaps, or a stress. So, As Jesus said in Matthew 12:34, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Or well, there's an old saying that goes, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And it's true. The mouth speaks what your heart is full of, and what's in your spirit. So in Luke 6, Jesus says that a healthy tree bears good fruit and an unhealthy plant produces rotten crops. So we have a choice. What plant do we want to be? Do we want to be the healthy plant or do we want to be the unhealthy plant? How do we want to be formed? Again, if you were here last week, um, as Annie mentioned, we, the bit I was talking on was this idea of counter-formation, and it is something that we're going to be talking again on in, um, in July. Um, but the reality is, as I said last week, we're, we're all being formed by something, whether we like it or not, both consciously and subconsciously. But we do have a choice to stand out against the cultural norms and be formed into, by something and someone else, and that person is Jesus. And often when it comes to our words, our culture tells us that we can say anything we want. We're all entitled to an opinion. What you have to say matters. There is no wrong answers we all have the right to speak out, no matter what the consequence. In fact, Theodore Zeus Gesell, better known as, or Giselle, Gazelle, Giesel, that something German, better known as Dr. Zeus, the children's author, said this, be who you are and say what you feel, because in the end, those who matter don't mind, and those who mind don't matter. What a load of Tosh. Okay. We love Dr. Zeus in our house. Well, I love Dr. Zeus. The kid I'm trying to get the kids into it. I think they do, sort of, but I like it more. So it's no disrespect to him. But that is a load of rubbish, that saying. It's the sort of thing, I've got a bit of a pet peeve of those little wooden signs or hearts with things written on. And it's the sort of thing that you'd find on one of those. It's gonna, I'm going to offend loads of people now. It's a bit of a thing in our house that we try and find the cheesiest ones that say, like, Live, laugh, love, or... Sorry. The one that you really gets me is the one... Okay, all well, right, sorry, sorry. Come and ask me afterwards. No, no, sorry. Why have you got a load of hooks in your wall There's nothing on? That's because we knew you were coming. Um, but it's just not true. We cannot say what we feel, because if others take offense, it doesn't matter. It's not okay to use our words to say what we want without considering the consequences. So what alternative does Jesus offer? What would it look like if our speech was to reflect the kingdom of God? What is the idea? What is this idea of simplicity of speech? So simplicity of speech is a spiritual discipline. It's a way of being and behaving and interacting that brings us closer to God, but also reflects God in the world. But in this case, as I've said earlier, simplicity is, is far, from being, uh, far from simple, especially in a world that's full of noise. Everywhere we look, there's people saying things, we read, we read things. Everyone's trying to make themselves heard. Everyone's got something to say. Now, if we had a competition for the noisiest house in the church, I'm not a betting man, but I'm, all my money would be on our house because we're three girls Two little ones and a bigger one. It can get loud, really, really loud. And they all have a lot to say. But this, what we're talking about here, is beyond audible words. It's just not just noise like that. This is the sort of noise that competes for our attention, our demands, the needs, our opinions, the loaded conversations. There seems to be a lot being said out there in the world, but not a lot of space for simplicity in that chaos. But Jesus calls us to walk a different path, to walk in simplicity and set a new way. So simplicity of speech is simply a disciplined attempt to bring our speech into alignment with Jesus. It's a serious effort by those of us who choose to be followers of Jesus to take on his inner nature and then to manifest that out into our being. So whether you're an external processor, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it's not, it's not actually easier for one personality type than another. For all of us this is a disciplined attempt to manifest the inner nature of Jesus in our speech, to attempt to talk like Jesus. So what does this look like? So, thankfully Jesus has shown us loads of examples in the, um, in the New Testament. We just haven't got time to run through all of them, so we're not going to do that. Don't worry, dinner's not ruined. Um, but we are going to um, look at a few. So if you've got your Bibles with you and you want to Um, Turn to Mark 12. It's going to be on the screen as well. So we're going to read from 14 to 17. So here we see the Pharisees um, speaking to Jesus. And they say, they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They bought the coin and then asked him, and then he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So Jesus used the simplest of tools and the clearest of prompts to direct the question back to those who were intending to harm him. He didn't get tied up in lengthy debates or complex explanations. He didn't get angry and call them names. He didn't retaliate, tit for tat. He didn't come back and say anything like that. And this happens time and time again through the Gospels. So Jesus wasn't just clever with words. He was a verbal ninja. He knew what each person could receive and what they couldn't receive. Jesus was a master of relational dexterity. He knew when to rebuke and when to comfort. He knew when to go easy and when to challenge, when to teach and when to ignore and walk away. I don't know about you, but I wish I had that skill in those moments to just say the right thing at the right time. So simplicity of speech is a disciplined attempt to talk like Jesus. But secondly, sometimes we're called to not talk like Jesus. So again, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read Mark 15, 1 to 5. So it says, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. There's that word again, amazed. They were amazed at the silence, at him not saying anything. So we've just read in Mark 12 how we see that the Pharisees were amazed when Jesus said something, but just a few chapters later, we read that Pilate was amazed when Jesus didn't say anything. It wasn't by what he said, but what he didn't say, by just keeping quiet. Silence can be courageous, and this is the moment that highlights that. It can be a quiet act of rebellion. And again, Jesus chose not to engage. He could have said so many things to defend himself. I don't know if you about you, but I can't imagine what it'd be like to be put in that position and not say anything. Loads of things in my head I want to say. Things that were right. He could have said things, you know, anything he said would have been right, true. Things which would have been perfectly valid, very sensible things. But instead, he chose to keep silent. He He knew his place. He knew the fight that he was about to have. And he demonstrated in that moment a deep trust in God. And no doubt, Pilate would have seen many people come, been brought before him on their knees, begging for their lives. But there was something different about Jesus here when he didn't say anything. And Pilate was amazed. He marveled at that. Again, I don't know about you, but I'd love to know, I'd love to learn how to stay silent in certain situations, um, when to talk and when to be quiet, when to stand up for things, when to humbly step back and just trust God in that moment. But this all feels so hard. And like I said, this has been a really hard talk for me. This is really hard to do. Um, but that's okay because the Bible has something to say on that. So in the book of James, it says we all stumble in many ways. And James talks about being the, the, the tongue being small and powerful, like the rudder of a ship and the spark of a fire. The tongue almost has a mind of its own. So if, again, if you've got your um, Bible, we're just going to read James 3, 1 to 12. So not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. That isn't something you'd like to read from the front of church. (laughs) We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures have been tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My well, brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapefruit bear figs? Neither can a salt, uh, salt spring produce fresh water. So here James acknowledges the challenge. When we profess the word of God, we know that others, or if we don't know, others will be watching you to see whether your actions match what you actually say. But notice, although it's a challenge, James doesn't say that taming in the Taming the tongue is impossible. James writes, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And interestingly, that word perfect isn't what we think is perfect. Um, it's actually the Greek word telos, which means the end goal. So it's more like complete, not perfect, in the, like you have no faults. It's about reaching your full potential rather than being perfect. So the same word that Jesus uses at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, saying, be perfect or telos, therefore, as your heavenly Father is, telos. So it's about making progress towards being complete in God. So taming of the tongue is not a matter of being perfect or getting it right all the time, but a matter of discipleship and commitment. Working towards that end goal. Um but we're not alone in this. In the process, we have, um, and we're, as we practice this, obviously that the Holy Spirit will come and empower us and help us. So when we submit our languages and habits to Jesus, he shapes us, he molds us. Then from the inside out, we're formed into something new, into the way that we should be. As James, J- James writes, that we're able to keep our whole bodies in check. So how do we do this? Well, the first obvious step is just talk less. So indulge me a minute while I get my design geek on um, here. So the Bau, anyone heard of the Bauhaus? The Bauhaus um, architect, Mies van der Rohe, originally coined the phrase "less is more" in reference to his modernist style. He argued that when you strip a building back of all the design and all the excess detail, that you're often left with something that's much not not only more functional, but often more beautiful. And sometimes we can apply this, the same principles to our words, less is more. So I bet everyone here can think of someone who doesn't say much, but when they do, what they have to say is like, profound. I'm not that person. Um, Maybe if you are that person, then... That's you. If you don't know someone like that, that's probably you. But the sort of person that when everyone speaks, sorry, when they speak, everybody stops and listens and remembers what they said. On the flip side, we can get people who overtalk. then people start to tune out and not listen to you at all. That happens in our house a lot. The kids are great at telling stories. But often, you know, if you've got kids and say, what happened at school today? And they say, well, nothing much. It's the opposite in our house. You ask Eleanor what happened at school, and 15 minutes later, she's still telling you every detail. And she'll say, are you still listening? And you're like, no, sorry. (laughs) So you have many reasons for wanting to talk. Sometimes we want to get something off our chest. We feel like we need to have our opinion heard. We feel like we've got the best idea to offer. Something that needs sharing. Or as Anya confessed to me, and you should imagine that kid at school, she spoke, used to speak up in her class to um, ask questions purely to make sure that everybody else in the room understood what the teacher was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but as we grow in maturity and our resemblance to Jesus, we have so many more reasons for, not, for wanting to not talk and choose our words carefully. We need to make space for others to let creativity grow, to share experiences rather than taking the lead, to allow allow others to reflect maybe in a moment of silence, to enable others to think through things rather than providing the answers, to encourage, to affirm, to build up. Or maybe we need to choose silence as a response to walk away from the things that we can get easily so entangled in. The gossip, the slants of truth, Careless words, maybe we just need to not say anything. So again, sorry, I'm going to get my design nerd on again here. I studied graphic design and typography at university. Um, It was my supportive wife calls it, coloring in. Got a degree in coloring in. But when I was um, at university or art school, the the lecturers would always talk about this idea of white space in design. We'd learn to have confidence not to fill a page when you've got an empty page, not to just fill it with stuff. We'll fill it with images and stuff. So white space in a design, or in art, once you've got it in white space. well, I won't get into white space too much, but trust me on this. White space allows the viewers to focus on the important things in that piece. So just as white space in design allows the viewer to focus on the key thing, I think the the same can hold true for speech. When we're quiet and listen, we can create space for other people's voices to come out. We validate other, other ideas by not stepping in with ours first. We build confidence and sense of place for each person by holding back. And when we listen and we ask questions and we make peace with the lull and the conversation, or the silence, we can often draw quieter people out of their shells and discover the beauty of another soul. And then the reality is some people just enjoy the quiet. So let's try and be people who, whose aim isn't to be interesting, but to be interested. And as you know, as most of you know, that isn't how it works out there. Social media is just a symptom of that. But what, if, what, if, what would it look like if we all just took more time to ask questions and listen? So step one is to just talk less. But we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater for some of us, maybe the challenge is to talk a little bit more. being quiet and in in and of itself is not a virtue. You can stay quiet for all sorts of reasons in a conversation, maybe because you're insecure, maybe because you're seething with resentment maybe you want to that's how you punish people by withdrawing maybe it's lack of confidence in what you have to say sometimes um we aren't staying quiet because of a deep conviction of God's love for us. So, this isn't about no speech, this is just about less speech. We want Central Vineyards and our homes and our communities and the places we engage to be places that are open, warm, and friendly. So, please still talk to people here. Don't not say anything. But we need, because we need to recognize the importance of small talk, the conversations about your week, the weather, activities, interests because this lays the groundwork for transitioning into more serious, deeper topics which require a greater degree of um, safety. But we want conversations that are real and are challenging and honest and open, balanced and equal. We want space for everybody to have their say and to play their part. We We want a culture where our words are measured and meaningful. We want to use language that reflects our beliefs. If we seek to be with Jesus, to become more like him and to do what he did, our speech is centre to that because it plays into our actions. So how can we become, begin to talk a bit more like Jesus? Well, again, thankfully, the Bible's full of instruction and examples and we're not going to go through them all. We'll just read it and you'll see how Jesus speaks and that's the great model. But I've got a few here to, to go through. So the Ten Commandments include do not lie. But Jesus expands on this when he taught in the Sermon on the Mount to include, do not swear oath at all. Our speech should be plain and honest. A simple yes or no, no flowery language that hides the truth, no PR spin, no hyperbole, no exaggeration, just straight up truth. A yes and Jesus says a yes or no will do. And why do do we lie sometimes? Well, often it's because Um, it's our most basic survival instinct. We often lie because of fear. Often we lie to get out of trouble or to avoid getting into trouble or because we fear what people think of us. We want people to think that we're better than we actually are. So here Jesus calls us to just be honest and say yes or no. Second, We're to build people up, not tear them down. In Ephesians 4 29, Paul writes, Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So, a great rule of thumb, and again, this is a lot easier to stand up here and say than actually do. Before you say something, maybe we should stop and think, Will this build this? Person up? Will this benefit this person? Or will it actually, is it, am I are using this to vent? Will it make me feel better? Or will it get something off my chest? Thirdly, we're called to speak gently. Gentle words spoken when we least expect them to do something deep inside our souls It shows we hold value in the eyes of other, peop- other people. Words that are genuinely kind possess a power that is not found in volume or amount. And gentle is often countercultural. Too often we see people on, out there pushing to be right. And again, just go and look at Twitter if you want some examples of that. We don't have to go into those. In Proverbs 15:1 it says, "A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh words stirs up anger." Gentle words reveal Jesus because our identity and hearts always spill out into our words and actions. And finally, and again, only because of time, we're called to bless and not curse. So again, in Romans, Paul writes, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. So to illustrate this, I have a video that we're going to play and it's a short video. So we're going to play that. No one notices when you're in the room. You're a mistake. You're useless. You're not even green. You look rotten. Are you really even alive? I like you the way you are. Seeing you blossom makes me happy. You're making a difference in the world. You are beautiful. As the weeks passed, I started noticing that the one that was being bullied, uh started kind of to droop While well, the friend that was being complimented it was it was flourishing and beautiful it's raised the profile massively of different forms of bullying and the effects that bullying can have on people If it affects a plant, it can definitely affect other people. I should have that for a cue there. <laughs> and I'm sure there's some scientists in the room saying, well, that's not a proper experiment because it wasn't a third plant and that plant could have been diseased. So, and if you go on YouTube, there's loads of people saying that's a load of rubbish. But I think it proves a point. And even if it isn't true, it's a good illustration. Just like those plants, people, and especially those close to us, live up to or down to the words that we speak over them. Now, parents, I'm going to speak to you briefly. This is applicable for us probably more than anybody else. For the sake of our kids, we have to develop this capacity to have the simplicity of speech. We have to tame our tongue for the sake of our kids. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say their lies are at stake. If you watch that video, their lies are at stake. Believe me, this is a lesson that I need to learn with the sassy three-year-old who uh, three has already given you that back. When we say things like, oh, you're a nightmare, or you're so naughty, or you're al- you always do that, we're literally, and this is an exaggeration, we're literally declaring hell over them. If you aren't sure what words what the words you use, um, what impact it can have over your kids, then just if you've got an older child, just listen to them and how they talk to their siblings or you. No doubt they would have picked up some words and phrases that you say. There's a good example of this, and I won't tell you who, um, who said this in our house. So I'll let you work that out. But during lockdown, we caught Eleanor um, saying to Lottie, more than one occasion, who was only 20 months at the time, give me some space, you're doing my head in. Again, I'll let you, I'm not going to say it as me. (laughs) And I won't say it as Annie. I'll let you make that judgment. Answer's on a postcard. But we're called to impart life with our words and with our speech. And the hope of the kingdom of God should be flowing from our lips. We're literally called to speak the God's kingdom over people. We need to remember that there's power in blessing, but also that there is negative power in curse. So as we draw to a close, and again, just in case you're in any doubt, I do not have this all together. I know, if you know me, you'll often know that I can interrupt, I can talk over people. If you were on the wall in our house or ever been with our family in a public setting, you'll know that blessings don't always flow from my mouth. I can be passive aggressive. I can be sarcastic. I can st- overstep the mark on my words. For an introvert, I can talk too much. But I hope, at least for me, that um, what we've talked about this morning is a vision of the kind of person that we can be becoming Jesus. So, as a practical end to this talk, I'm going to give you all a little bit of homework. Maybe this coming week, we can all practice sim- simple speech. Maybe for those of us who talk a lot, maybe we can catch ourselves before we speak this week in a situation and just wait. Maybe if you would normally fill a silence, don't. just Sit there and wait and see what happens. I hate awkward silences. But who in the room may need that silence so they can find their voice? Or if you're the opposite and you don't say enough, maybe this week this is an invitation to speak up a bit more. Maybe in that moment that's going to get created by all the chatty ones, that instead of saying staying silent, you speak out something. Maybe you speak out a blessing. Maybe, you're, um, maybe God is calling you Um, to speak his truth into that silence. So should we stand and we pray?